welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. Good morning. Good morning. Are we all good? It's good to see you all. Mm. People back from their holidays and all that. Um, welcome people online. Tom Knight and stuff out there in Indiana. We love you. There we've got Art Henkel. I don't know if you watch. I don't know Art. I don't think I've met Art. But Art and Henkel. He's, he's, I think he's watching this morning, but it struck me. I thought, isn't it brilliant? There are like different people from around the world. I don't know where Art's from, but some are not local with a name like that, to be fair. and uh, But it is, I just thought, isn't it funny people's names? Because Art Henkel, to me, sounds like a craft beer, doesn't it? <laughs> I just was looking at this word, Art Henkel. A couple of pounds of Art Henkel, please. <laughs> anyway, just things come into your head. Do you know what's funny about preaching? Um, I've got in a Tihan, I don't know why. Um it's funny thing about when you teach the word, you spend like loads of time. I, I love reading the Bible and stuff like that. And over the year, I don't know, tens of thousands of hours reading. And then you, you put it together, hopefully week on week, to try to encourage people, bless them, lead them to an encounter of Jesus and all the rest of it. And people remember the funniest things. I remember years ago when I was preaching in my last church, I did this talk on anger management, which is funny. I wonder why they got me to do that. And uh, no, when they gave out the titles, could you do the one on anger, Andre? You're like, what are you trying to say? And because uh, I'm so mild mannered and all, and uh, I, I was I was talking about this film with Jack Nicholson, uh, anger management, because I watched it because I was thinking might bound to be some wisdom in that, right? But he sings this song, "I feel pretty." We you know when you feel angry, it's like his therapist says to him, "Right, what you got to do in that moment? You've got to sing like out in with the good, out with the bad, and sing I feel pretty, oh so pretty.' You know, through teeth. It's, it's a very funny movie. Anyway, about." Three weeks later, it was, I was going down the Belmont Road and um, the traffic was backed up and there's me dandering down past the Belmont Road and all I hear from like nowhere, right, is, I feel pretty, oh, so pretty. It was some guy riding down his window, he must be in the church listening to me, who was singing it at me and I thought, that flipping slabber, all he remembers <laughs> is Jack Nicholson. Well, do you know what? The same thing happens, even, this week has been Penguin Gate, right? Even my good friend, Joseph this morning said, see that? It's funny. <laughs> Can I, I hope you know why we tell it. It actually made me chuckle this morning. He says, hi. Oh, I don't know what you said really last week in that sermon, but I said to Annette, Google there, can penguins fly? Google that. <laughs> Started something, right? I actually asked Penny for more detail on where she was coming from after last week because lots of people and she said well I, they, they sort of jump into the I went that's just called diving into the water no they don't fly out they jump out right <laughs> so penguins can't fly but here's me this morning going you know Joseph okay I'm egging this one up a wee bit like thank you for that word that just really touched us during the week and that google that can penguins fly forgot about that I was just <laughs> isn't that funny Anyway, there you go. So um, I'm going to, you know, what what happens in your life when you encounter God is my title for today, because uh, title for today, that's not even good English, is it? Uh, because we're, we're going through the book of Acts. And what I want you to think about this morning is when we come to the Bible, the Lord speaks to you in a number of ways. He, always, he speaks in three, almost like uh, three dimensions in 3D. He talks about your past. He gives you perspective on today and he gives you hope for tomorrow. All right. And it's not just about you. Don't make the mistake this morning of sitting here going, this is just, oh, it's just need a wee word from the Lord, all right? I, if, you, if you do need a word from the Lord, you're going to receive if you're open for it, all right? So if you're open, you're definitely going to walk away encouraged. But the Lord just doesn't want to leave you with like this mentality of I come just for a wee touch, all right? Just enough to get me through Jesus, to the, you know, one day at a time and all that kind of stuff. He's singing this morning, isn't he? Okay, sweet Jesus. Who sang that? Alan's far too young. He wouldn't remember. So here's the thing. Um, it's not about that. You're called to live as an overcomer. Do you get that? Not just as a, oh, Jesus, just give me enough to get me through. And one of the ways that that'll happen, actually, is not just I receive for myself, but I learn that as I receive the word for me, the Lord is also speaking to me in that moment about the people around me. Because we are called to be people who give and flow in the goodness and the grace of God. And the lie that we are surrounded with today in the world is put yourself first. You've got to be sorted. You've got to have it all together. And today we're going to look at a really, really famous bit of the Bible. And so uh, the, the thing is, when God is encountering you, 
He is not just doing it for you. He is doing it for the people around you and for the people who will come after you, your children, their grandchildren, your families, extended families. And when you start to see the grace of God and the goodness of God flow in their lives, you know what happens? Your own perspective about your situation finds its proper place because when you have nothing else to think about or what you do is you only think about yourself, then you magnify. Do you get that? The word tells you, be careful what you give your attention to because whatever you're giving your attention to, you're making it bigger. And so if you're focused on negativity and cynicism, you make that bigger. Do you get that? If you focus it on fear, you make it bigger. If you focus it on your need, guess what happens? Your need doesn't get filled. It just becomes bigger. Do you get that? And so that's why the Lord says, come, let us magnify the Lord together. Right, Because as we magnify, we make bigger Jesus, his word, his work, his grace. And actually what we find is, you know, some things on the outside won't change very quickly or might not change, you know, in some way markedly. But in one sense, as they don't change, they change completely. Why? Because your perspective on them is different. Do you get that? So open your hearts this morning for people who have gone, God, I don't know, I've had my heart open for years, whether it's about my husband or my kids or about my whatever the lord says afresh this morning i want to show you again what my heart for you is for what, what my heart for them is and the future that i've called you amen so that's what we're going to look at uh, because i hope because this whole story that we're reading in the book of acts like i said i i need to say this again it's not finished you're writing the story today as you go through the book of acts and we go through this summer i, I if you're if you're looking for meaning and purpose in your life then the book of acts will give it to you um, because you're not separate from the story. And what we've heard is incredible. Penguins and, and everything else. You can't forget that what we're going to read today is about the Apostle Paul or Saul, as he's called at this point. We're going to read about his conversion this morning. And what happens is we look at, we read these stories and in our heads, I'll tell you what we do. We go, this is not the same for me, right? This guy here who wrote 25 to 50% of the New Testament, depending on how you measure it, right? This, this guy was different. He had a different grace. He had a, a different encounter. No, he didn't. He was just like you and me. There was no different. God didn't treat him differently. God didn't, you know, say, well, I'm going to give you a special dispensation which will not be available for anyone else. He said for you, and I send to you this morning, as you read this story, be encouraged that what I did here, I'll do it again. If you have openness for it, faith for it, and you want to receive it. He's not holding back on you today is what I'm trying to say. And he's not trying to say, look, these stories are awesome because it would be totally unfair of God if, if he was to open up the Bible and go, isn't this amazing? Like slip and heck, look at Paul, like he was full on. He loved it, went for it. Ah, but you know you, you're just not as good. I gave him more than what I gave you. So just do you know what, suck it up, son. All right, and hang on till you get to heaven. Now, well, anyone would be checking out, wouldn't you be going, here, what would be the point of reading it? You ever thought that? What would be the actual point if the Lord wasn't saying, put yourself into the story, don't make it about you, always make it about Jesus, but see what Jesus did in someone and go, fit me, if you did that, you're the same today. Now what's going to hold me back? Primarily self. Oh Lord, I just need, right? Your needs are already met. We say it week after week. Get your, your the least use of your faith this morning is for what you need. Why? Because he's already said, before you even lifted your head out of your pit this morning, he had already provided. Did you get that? He's gone before you today and this week. That's what his grace does. Super abounds to you. You know, you know, and we're getting up going, oh, I need this. And he's going, yeah. Do you think I've already gone before? Receive in faith what you need. Okay, because I've already gone before you. So, is that good? Okay. And this one's going to be really, really familiar because it's a fascinating question, right? Because it's all about this guy's soul. And uh, for those of you who know, Saul becomes Paul. We're going to read about that. And Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Well, Paul and John, right? 25 to 50%. Do you measure verses, epistles, whatever? Uh, Paul, John wrote about 17%. So they, like, pretty much most of the gospel, of most of the gospel message that we sit under today, the gospel of grace, was written by Paul. And uh, when you look at Galatians and Romans and all sorts of stuff, okay. And it's, it's really interesting because some of us think that we know what Paul was like, but we haven't a clue. I want to tell you about it today because it will frighten the life out of you because sometimes with, with the gospel, and when I say the gospel, what I mean is the message of God's unmerited favor and grace. 
some of us have become blasé and a little bit comfortable. Um, and, and as I thought about it this way, it's kind of like, yeah, grace is fine, but we just need a little bit more than grace. No, you don't. There's not a day in my life goes past where, honestly, right now, and where I'm at, where I go, I'd be all right without grace. <laughs> I take the chance. Anyone? I would be doomed. Like, really? And so would you. Well, I wouldn't be here. Do you get that? Grace alone. Access through faith. And apply. That's the, that's the only gospel. And it's interesting that, you know, do you know what it is? You're going to see some of yourself in Paul today. Because the reason why grace doesn't stop us in our tracks every day with a thankful heart is because we actually don't think we're that. Let me say that again. I could get like me. Yeah. Some of us don't actually think we're that bad. Because we compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to, well, not as bad as what it was last week. Or, and somewhere we have completely lost the grid for what Jesus says he needs to do in our lives. And so if grace doesn't surprise, surprise you anymore, or you don't feel like, oh God, I am so grateful for your grace. Do you know what's happened? You've probably slipped a little bit back into what the Bible calls legalism. Because legalism goes, I'm doing okay outside of what God has provided for me, outside of who Jesus is. And it's the same spirit, okay? All the time, nipping at grace, pulling it, read, read it in Galatians chapter four, okay? Where you, what happens is, it's almost like when it's gone to seed, you see what happens at Mount Sinai where the children of Israel look up when Moses is up there and they kind of go, um, I will do anything you can ask of us, God. That's it gone to seed, right? At the end of the line. But actually what we're going to see in Paul today is like he was a bad ache, as we would say at Belfast. Like he was a brute. You know, that I'm going to say this because I want you to have it in your head. Do you know why he, he preached grace so much? It's because he's probably not... I, I need to be really careful with this analogy, okay? But when you think of the Second World War and ghettos and Nazis and all that kind of stuff and what happened with the Jews, it's as close as you're going to see, right, in our, in our kind of understanding as to what he was like. Okay, so let's get into it because it's unbelievable what the Lord does with him. Like, it's good news for you, all right? So don't be sitting there going, oh, this grace stuff is fine, but we just need something... We need a 40-day fast, Pastor. What about that? Hi. <laughs> be amazing. We're doing the Daniel fast. Okay. Good on you. All right. Knock yourselves out. So let's go. So it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating uh, thing we're going to look at because Paul was probably now, I'm going to say things, I'm going to teach you about this guy and I need you to, I, I don't have time this morning to draw all the lines. So you've got to really, you've got to, you've got to engage with me on this one. All right. And think about your, yourself here, because Paul, by all appearances, was the least likely person to pioneer Christianity and to pioneer anything about mission. He was born a Jew, and he was born in Tarsus. And even though he was born in Tarsus, he was raised and was educated under a guy called Gamaliel. Now, some of you Bible scholars will have heard of Gamaliel. He's, the, he's, a, he's a big noise, all right, uh, in the world of the Pharisees. He's the one that whenever... Um, the, the the blind and, and the, all sorts of stuff are, are pulled in front. Basically, he, he says, whenever he's confronted with Christians, he goes, look, if God's in it, leave them alone because we don't want to stand against God. But if God's not in it, don't worry about it anyway because it's not going to come to anything. Isn't that a great wisdom for your life? You know, should it do this, should it do that, should it do the other? If God's in it, right, don't worry about it. It's going to happen. If God's not in it, you don't want to be involved in it anyway. God will fall apart. So what are you worrying about? Right? Anyway. So that's Gamaliel. We see him, in, in, but he, he was like the, the, the big authority. He was hugely respected as a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he, he mentored Paul, and the direct quote here is, on the strict manner of the law of our fathers. So it wasn't just about the law itself. It was about history. It was about the weight of it. And that's what Paul grew up in. And Paul was brilliant. He had a brilliantly quick mind. He was a, an A++++ student. He was phenomenal in his understanding and his application of law. Even, even he even says it himself, if you read in Philippians 3, he says, if anyone thinks you've got confidence uh, in the flesh, right? I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, right? That just means all of the traditions, he kept them, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee. 
as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. I'm going to come to that in a minute. As to righteousness under the law, righteousness under the law, that means sticking to the rules, never breaking them, you know, pointing the finger. He says, I was blameless, right? Now, remember, it wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was over 600 ceremonial laws. And you know what? Not just did he do them, he understood them. And he persecuted those who didn't. This guy would have been an absolute nightmare to be around. Like, talk about a party pooper. You know what I mean? He would have... <laughs> party paper where's the what are you jam i 14 and so here's the thing right now so what happens is he, what, how does he get to this point when saul saw some of his jewish brothers converting to christianity this is the thing it wasn't that he was just a wee bit upset about it oh i'm going to persecute them he didn't go to towns and hold up a placard and say enough with this sort of thing right steady on now that's not very nice you know what i mean father ted style that was a reference for some of you didn't get it all right steady now careful now it wasn't that all right he was more than a little bit upset because he viewed Christianity not as something that was just going to compete with Judaism, but he saw it as something that was going to co-opt his religion, i.e. take it over. It was corrupt to its core, he felt, and it was going to twist a Judaism into something that it was never intended to be. So he set out, his whole thing, his whole life was about setting out to deal with the heretics who he said were betraying the very God that he had served for his whole life. This was not a minor annoyance. He had murder in his heart. Now, what's really interesting about that is, you know, he had this guy, Gamaliel, who was kind of like going, well, Paul, or Saul, so, so leave him alone. If God's not in it, he disagreed. That's why he went out to persecute. Now, there's a point here, okay? And the point is this. When it comes to legalism in your heart, right? When you look at Paul, you see what legalism does. Now, he said it's the spirit of death. God, that sounds awful. That sounds very strict. The spirit of death. It literally ends in death. There is no life under the law. There is no life under performance. There is no fruit. There is no breakthrough. There is no healing under the working out of law in your life will be death. That's what Paul stands for. When he was the very epitome that we see of the law at work. What was the fruit of it thereof in his life? He wanted to kill. Do you get that? That's why I preach grace week after week after week. And despite some people recently saying, well, you should maybe just read eat something more. Why is it all grace? Because there's no other gospel. You let, the, you let a little bit into your heart, all right? You let legalism into your heart and you let performance into your heart. It'll kill you. It will kill you if there's no life in it. Why? The Lord said it's obsolete. It is grace alone. Jesus and his finished work. Amen. And so that's what you see in Paul. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about it. So he doesn't agree with Gamaliel. You know, and he doesn't agree with how Christians should be dealt with. Rather, what he wanted, he wanted to arrest them, put them on trial, convict them and punish them with imprisonment and with in, and death. And he wanted to do it starting in Jerusalem. So his career, his whole life, he got up in the morning, right? A wee bit like somebody in the SS would have done. And he would have sent word in front of where he was going. So this whole thing of Damascus is really interesting. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you about it in a minute. But, you know, it began with Stephen. It quickly spread to all the Christians in Jerusalem. This is his career of killing people. And he was not, this was not just about get them out of, Israel, get them out of, out of uh, Jerusalem. This was, I'm not going to contain this. I am going to wipe them out. Do you get me? I'm going to wipe them out. Every single last one of them. I know we say Paul was a great missionary. Paul was a great missionary before he ever met Jesus. But you know all that he was doing? He was on a missionary journey to kill believers. Like here's what's really good about that. Think about people in your life today. And think about the way that God has gifted them and skilled them and called them. And you go, God, could you ever break in? See the same stuff that God puts in them. When they encounter him, he will use the same gifting for his purpose. And it will change the world. Do you get that? Okay, don't be trying to change people from the, you know, they need to be this and they need to be that. Do you know what God said? The gift of God in their life is without repentance. Sometimes I look at people and I go, flip, they're incredible. If they could encounter Jesus, he, they would do amazing things for the kingdom. You get a glimpse into what their future is with God when you see what they're brilliant at in the world. Do you get that? Unfortunately for Paul, it was killing people. So God had to do something incredible. And so what happens, he starts to go to Damascus. We're going to read about it now. I'm just giving you some background. Like Damascus is interesting. It's really influential. And it was a very flourish. It was a major cultural center. 
and there were tons of synagogues and loads of Jews there. So he's now starting to move out of Jerusalem. He's going to go 150 miles to the north and he's going to go to Damascus. And the reason why he's going to go to Damascus is because there's so much happening there. He was just about to make a massive statement. I'm going to go to the place outside of Jerusalem where there's biggest synagogues, biggest communities. And do you know what he did? This is how he would do it. He would send word in advance. Okay, I, I, need you to, I need you to get into your head how wicked and how twisted this man was. There was nothing. He was a hateful, murderous pig. And he would have sent word in advance. I'm coming. Here's what I need to know. Where are the Jews? Where did they meet? Who are they? Who are their ringleaders? Gather them up because I'm coming and we're going to kill them. You get that? Imagine being in the church in Damascus or a Jew in Damascus. You'd be going, holy smokes. We're in trouble. And so look what happens. Okay. So he's setting out and he's in his heart. He's going, I'm going to make the biggest splash going here. Right? This is it. This is where I go big and the Lord has other plans. So meanwhile, let's read together. Paul, Saul was still breathing out. Oh, sorry. Time. When does this happen? This happens about four years, four to seven years after the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is not like a hundred years, it was four to seven years. And there's actually, there's something I'm going to say, there's probably good evidence to suggest that Paul and Jesus actually would have cut across each other when Jesus was alive. And that's really important, I'll tell you in a minute. Some of you didn't know that, did you? It's only four to seven years after, after the crucifixion that this happens. So meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters in the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the faith, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. <laughs> really? Understatement? I was like, what the heck? They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple called Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he's praying. In a vision he has seen in the man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. This is brilliant. Lord? Ananias answered. I've heard many reports. Someone was like, come again. I have heard many reports. Like, we read this kind of flat. It's like, I imagine Ananias going, here, hold on. You must be joking. Saul, the guy who murders people like me. Uh-oh. He says, uh, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all he called in his name. You see, that's how you know that they sent word in advance. Okay, let us know who they are because we're coming for them. And I, But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings. So he has this reputation. Like even his name, they go, I don't want to be around this guy because I'm going to end up dead. But I, I've chosen him as my instrument to to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went into the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, please don't hurt me. The Lord asked me to do this and then I'm leaving straight. No, he didn't. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you might see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. Oh man, the, the, like the, the imagery here, I don't have time to go into it today, but the whole thing of you know, it, it, the whole thing of, of being under the law, it always says, the whole way through the Bible, there are tons and tons and tons of, um, what's the word? Uh, imagery, thank you. Where it's like scales fall from your eyes, the curtain is torn. You know what I mean? You see dimly, but you're going to see clearly, right? It's like like they're spiritually blind. And so the same thing's happening. You see that the whole way through. Under the law, you can't see properly. You've got to see clearly. Um which is when you say Jesus. So this is what happened. Scales fall, physically fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. It's, it's interesting here, okay? I want, I want to say a couple of things. I want you to think about your life this morning. And I want to think, you to think about those people around you. They, this passage is incredibly important because 
there let, let me just let me tell you why there is some talk that Paul actually met Jesus during his three and a half year ministry you know how do you you know the question is did he ever encounter him in person now there's there's a lack of direct evidence but there's some things I think are really important first is this let me just tell you this so you can you can learn a bit because I, I think this stuff is important Paul had been a resident of Jerusalem when he was a child you read that in Acts 22 and he was there years later to approve of Stephen's stoning so that Paul also had a nephew you can read who was resident in Jerusalem you can read that in Acts 23 and so it suggests that it's not just that Paul was there but his wider family were also there at the time that Jesus was ministering secondly Jesus was known to have visited Jerusalem you can read that lots of times and so it's probable as a as a master lawyer and Pharisee okay that Paul would probably have seen Jesus speak and heard him speak during one of Jesus's several trips there you know because his devotion to the law number three would have meant that you know, like, um, you'll, you'll find out when you buy my book when it comes out. The uh, sweet, see that? Seamless. All right. Uh, there's lots of times where Jesus in the Passover is, is talking to the crowds in Jerusalem. And Paul would have been there. We kind of know that because they were all there for Passover. It was the big, the big festivals and all the rest of it. Actually, Paul, at the end of Acts in 26, Paul tells Herod Agrippa when he's, when he's being questioned, the things that Jesus did quote, were not done in a corner. Paul says they weren't done in a corner. I, they were in plain view for everyone to see. And I say in one of his epistles, is actually 2 Corinthians 5, it, there's a hint that Paul actually had this pre-conversion encounter with Jesus. And you kind of go, so what? I'll tell you why that's a so what. You can be around the things of grace. You can be around Jesus. You can hear his words. You can see him operate. But you've got law in your heart. Doesn't make a blind bit of there. Do you get that? I don't want us to be people who hear the things of grace. Receive, you know, a word every week for us. And are around Jesus, but it makes no difference to our hearts. So when sickness comes, we fool like a pack of cards. When we face lack, we just go back to our own self-effort and determination. When we see things, we... we kind of behave the same way as everyone else in the world despite the fact that Jesus we've been around Jesus do you get that because actually what that what then is the point Paul actually has his encounter moment I'm going to suggest to you right that most of you have there there are aspects of the church that are waiting for Jesus almost like to come again in this massive encounter do you get that we're just waiting for you to come, Lord. I, I, the Jews are waiting. They want the, the new temple and all that kind of stuff. But there's this, you know, I, I read recently, like, a lot, just this myth that sits in the church today that somehow we're just waiting, all right, for Jesus to do something different and new and fresh. Do you get that? It's almost like he's holding back. And so if we keep praying and we keep seeking and we keep asking, then Jesus will do it again. And I just say to you, you don't see that in the Word. Right? When you encountered grace, it was a wee bit like what happened with Paul. Now, you might not have had the Damascus Road experience. Okay? But let me, let me show you how the Lord unpacks this for you. And this is the journey of grace. This is what it looks like to encounter God. Because there are people in the church today who think it's going to be a moment like Saul. Okay? The biggest work that God ever did in you was the day that you received him. Do you get that? That encounter moment changed you. You were forever changed. Your emotions might tell you that you're the same, but you are not. When Jesus looks at you, I'm going to talk to him about this in a minute. When Jesus changed you in that moment, it was you were created into somebody that never existed before. Now, what's interesting, do you know what people look for? People look, like in the Damascus Road experience, they look for the, I'm going to call it the heat and the light. You get that? You know, and like we, we would use that expression, there's a lot of heat around that or a lot of light about that. There's a lot of noise. It's like, oh, Jesus, we need this encounter where you just kind of appear to us, right? That was not the point. That, the point there was to go, I've got your attention. I'm going to make you blind, which kind of gets your attention, to be fair. Now go over here, wait for three days, and then I'm going to take the scales off your eyes. And people then go, well, that's it. That's what I need. That's what it's all about. It's not. All right? There is so much heat and noise in some things around the church today. 
where it's like, we're begging God for this. We just need this moment for that. Actually, you've had your encounter. Do you get that? You don't need a Damascus road. What you need is what came after the Damascus road, all right? Which is where the Lord starts to do something incredible in the life of Paul, right? That sets him up and changes the world around him. If you have in this, and if you're listening to me online, if you have received Jesus, right, you are changed. You're not the same person. You need to stop looking in the rearview mirror and judging yourself on yesterday's kind of set of ideals or, or rules or whatever and say in this moment, it might've been five years ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, but the power of the encounter changed you. Amen. So stop thinking you're not good enough. Stop thinking that your experience of Jesus was not as good as Paul. The Lord had to get his attention. Why? Because the depth of murderous hatred in his heart was such that he had to grab him. All right? Not many of you were like that. Thank God. Not many of you were going down to Dungannon to bait all around you. All right? As, as we would say, why Dungannon? Newton Art. Who cares? You weren't going there. You weren't sending down to Port of Bogey and going, who's there today? Are the Presbyterians and round them up so I can flog them. Right? That's not who you were. And sometimes God deals with people like Paul because he, like, in, in, as, in as much as the depth of darkness and legalism and law and death was deeply in his heart and everything else, so far the Lord had to change that and renew that. He got his attention. But there was a moment in your life where he got your attention and it was just the right encounter for you. Do you get that? For some people, it was quietly sitting on their sofa one night with their husband or partner or whatever praying with them. For some of you, it was in a meeting where you put your hand up. Stop judging your encounter versus his because you're not the same people. Now, what happens afterwards is exactly the same. That's the, anyway, do you get that? Because some of us are, are, are just like, Lord, I, I, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough. I, I need this. I need more. I need you to step in. No, you don't. He's already stepped in. Now, what happens is this. Oh, flip. It was more than just heat and light. And I, I think that's important. Sometimes we, we, are, we can distract ourselves with bluster. Do you get that? Well, don't look at me in that tone of voice. We can distract ourselves with bluster. Do this, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing that, and the Lord's saying, and thought of that. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay? But actually, at the, the heart of it all, some of us need to come back to that place where you went, You have saved me in grace. And the same thing that you did with him on that road was the same thing you did with me when I sat on my sofa. Now, what happens here? What I, I love about this is when the Lord does that with you, and he, he can encounter, like I, I'm not discounting moments of massive encounter. Can, can I just say this? I'm not talking down lack of faith. I want to experience Jesus every day. Do you get that? Do you? Some of you aren't even sure. I think you've even saved, right? I want to have those moments, but you want to don't want it to. I don't want to live my life like I'm some sort of spinning top or have to go somewhere or hear someone speak or do this just to be kind of spun up again, just to get through. I want to live a life of quiet rest and assurance where the peace of God, the grace of God, the love of God and the fullness of God flow from me from a place of quiet rest and assurance in Jesus. Do you get that? I'm done with heat and light. I want a proper, real encounter of grace. And everything you need flows from that. But that's what I'm on. And I think kind of, um, it's interesting that when, when that happens, one of the reasons that some of us, like at that point, what I love about what the Lord does here is one of the reasons that we struggle to move forward is because our faith for tomorrow is is eaten up by the fact that tomorrow seems way bigger than yesterday seems way bigger than tomorrow. Does that make sense? I said that I have said that right. Think about think about what the Lord does here with Paul. It's amazing. Like your life might not have been as bad as Paul, but think about, you know, how much you even struggled to let go of. Have you ever thought what Paul had to let go of? Have you ever thought about this? Like, holy smokes. It's wild. Now, what does the Lord say to him? At the moment where he encountered him, he says, now get up, go to the city. We read that line, it's like, oh, whatever. Get up and go to the city. What's the Lord say? 
From the moment you met me, it was always about your future. He didn't stop him dead in his tracks and go, right, Paul, let's deal with you here. Let's just unpack the whole mess of your life and let me just put things straight here at the side of the road. Let's just have a bit of a steward's inquiry as to why you're a murderous kid. He says, get up, go. Some of you need to get up and go forward. Do you get that? You've been stuck for too long. You've encountered Jesus. You've received grace upon grace. And you're going, and the Lord says, will you just get up and go? Take bold steps of faith. Put your hands out and pray for people. Give people the word. Share the gospel. Stop being stuck. Because I haven't got you stuck. There ain't no more encounter. You know, Paul is not going to have a second encounter, third encounter like he does on the Damascus Road. When he was saved, he was saved forever. And the Lord says, now get up and go. And what's, what's interesting along the way is... Um, in Galatians, right, uh, it's, it, we get this little bit of insight because when, when instead of going, Lord, we just need you to break in and power and might and whatever on a Tuesday, what happens is Paul takes him to Ananias, who's absolutely scared witless. Ananias prays, the scales fall off. What happens then? So this is what encounter looks like. Everyone know? What does the Lord do with him? He starts to teach him. And he teaches him for three years. We all look at the Damascus Road experience. We build a theology around these moments. And actually the work in Paul was not done in that moment. The work was done in the three years. For those of you who don't know, let me read it to you. Right? Paul emphasizes, he read it in Galatians. He goes, he, he starts to receive a message that he gets from Jesus directly and not from the apostles. So after his conversion and fleeing to Damascus, right? And there's persecution. Paul spends three years in what's modern day Turkey today right? Now, he wasn't lying on the beach on an all-inclusive, right? Buying knockoff watches and whatever. But there's scholars who go, God gave Paul three years because the original 12 had had three years with Jesus. And Paul was given this time where he could learn directly from Jesus himself. Let's read about it. I want you to know, he says in Galatians 1, 11 through 20. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. What that means is it wasn't one of the stories or the, what, like Peter and all those guys were, he hadn't heard it there and, and was now going to kind of just build on it. The gospel I preached was not of human origin. Why do you think that was? You know when things are deep in your heart? Things that bother you, things that worry you, things that concern you? No matter how smart someone is, their revelation is not going to be enough to bring you freedom. Paul's encounter with God kept on going. And it reached into the... And sometimes what we do is we look for the answers from other people or what this pastor preaches or what this... And the Lord says, come to me and receive it right from me. Receive it right from me. Unblemished. And that, that's what's going to happen here. What do you see? I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus. For you have heard of my precious way of life in, in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart, made me holy, okay, uh, from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him amongst the Gentiles. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Like, can you imagine what needs to be undone in this man's life in order for him to actually preach the gospel of grace. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees whose heart was so gripped by hatred that he wanted to kill them. I don't know. I, I started to think about that this week and I thought some of the things we worry about and some of the things, and I'm not talking those down, but we talk about condemnation. How do you think Paul felt? Regret? Anyone? Anyone got regret here this morning? Not just for what he did, but probably for the years that he felt that he had wasted. In tradition and this, that and the other and and the Lord steps in in a moment and starts to show him something different. Do you think Higgy had regret to deal with? See, some of you can't get past your regret. And I'm going, why? Because probably you've been trying to receive a message from everywhere else. And the Lord says, come to me. Let me minister grace upon grace into your heart. It's the only thing that's going to free you. What about shame? Imagine, I don't know, standing looking in the, the eyes of your Savior and you're going, I actually was trying to kill your people. I'm going to kill them. 
I don't know. That would probably cause me to put my my head down. Anyone? Regret, shame, condemnation. You probably, I don't know, sadness even. Mourning. I bet you felt dead wick. But not just dead wick, but like, do you ever feel sad about something and you're, you can actually feel it in your heart? Yeah. All of that going on. And what's, what's the Lord do with him? The Lord takes him. And we kind of think he was taken to modern-day Turkey and he lived in a cave like John the Baptist. He didn't. In Acts 9, he started to preach. Right? So he, it wasn't like the Lord said, until I have completely got you sorted out, you shall not be fit to reach my people. There's a period of three years. The three years, at the end of three years, he goes back to Jerusalem. But he ministers where he's at. Stop waiting until you think you're good enough. Get up. I go to the city, start to share what God is doing in you. And over those three years, what happens is the Lord ministers. And, and actually what happens in those three years, the Lord didn't give him a plan. I don't believe the Lord gave him a strategy, first and foremost. He probably did at some point or it, it came. The Lord didn't say, right, Paul, we've got this big missionary thing to do now because we need to get this like way over there. And the Romans, oh, it's going to be a bit of a nightmare, but sure, let's get the spreadsheet worked out. All right. That's not what's going on here. Let me finish very quickly. Okay. So what happens is these three years of receiving and walking from with Jesus, these years of receiving are shaping and forming the message in him. That's his encounter. Do you know what an encounter with God looks like? It looks like a wet Tuesday morning in July. I can say that. When the rain's beating down your windows, you hate this country and you want to be anywhere else other than be here. Anyone? Isn't it flipping ridiculous? I, do you know what? I'm all for global warming. I'm like, seriously, if that's what it's going to look like, let's get the flipping coal-fired power stations. I'm only sure. Get those poor penguins. Oh, down. They'll be boiling, Penny. What do you do about that? Slip <laughs> in, Nora. You see, an encounter with God looks like receiving grace upon grace every day. You encounter him every day. Because what happened was Paul put some momentum behind the message and started to move. And where he was at, he started to teach. The, the message wasn't fully formed in him. The message wasn't fully shaped in him. But he, he, he started to move. Do you get that? And I actually think that's a prerequisite to end up where you, need, where you think you need to be is to start where you're at. But his encounter was three years initially. Started off with heat and light. Started off with a big move, and then the Lord goes, but you know what? That was, I was getting your attention, and I was saving you. And now the ministry begins, and he receives from Jesus every day. Still ask the question, where are you receiving from? Because if you're hanging on to the first, second, third moments that you heard the gospel of grace, and now you're disappointed five years later, right? You've been dealing with heat and light. You'll not make it. You'll go back to the law. And they'll all on end in death. You'll go to Dungannon and kill people. What a picture. But I wanted to encourage you this week. When I had to pause converting, the Lord said it was great, wasn't it? But what, what did I do? Let me just tell you what the Lord ministered to him. Because you know when something goes into you, it comes out. Now, this was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And do you want to know what it means? to receive and encounter Jesus every day, year upon year upon year, where the more you receive, the more you start to flow, and the more you start to see the goodness of God. Let me just give it to you, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, from now on, this is the words of this very guy. We regard no one, no one according to the flesh. You can't, see when you read that, and then you, you, you know a wee bit more about Paul, right? You kind of go, that makes way more sense, doesn't it? Because when he looked at his flesh, there was nothing good about it. When I say flesh, what I mean is his, his life outside of the spirit. It wasn't like he was, well, that wasn't too bad. You know what I mean? I could have killed more of them. Like I killed a few, but like at least I didn't kill all of them. Like, you know, I kind of screwed up way of viewing the world. Like I'm not as bad as them, but I'm not as bad as them. That's not too bad. He says, look at nobody that way. Because... Even though, oh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
old thing has passed. Behold, all things have become new. You see this time and time again, Hebrews eleven ten. every priest stands ministering daily. Uh, we think Paul wrote Hebrews, a uh, bit of debate, but probably he did. Every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Do you see how the Pharisee of the Pharisees sees this? He's going to spend my whole life with these sacrifices. Not just that I do them and know them and understand them, but, you know, it's like I, I, I punished people who didn't do them. And they did it day after day after day. And now the Lord showed me that it's no good. It doesn't work. It's completely null and void. My effort means nothing. But this man, Jesus, who I, who in that moment on that road, but more importantly, what unfolded in me from that moment over years of receiving from him, what he did in that sacrifice once and forever, he's now sat down at the right hand of God and he's waiting until all his enemies are under his feet. Because by it was that offering that has perfected me forever. See, when the Lord ministers to you in an encounter, he ministers identity. That's where he starts. He doesn't minister strategy. He ministers love. This is who you are. You're not your past. You're not your failure. You're not your mistake. You're not your regret. Stop condemning yourself because I'm not condemning you any longer. Lord, I just need this to work out. Receive identity from me. Receive love from me. Receive grace from me. And you know what happens in that moment? Everything else is taken care of for you. It all flows from who you are, not what you do. And so what does the Lord minister day after day after day, away from the distractions of everything else? He ministers, Paul, you're brand new. You're not who you were. You are not your mistakes. You are not your past. You are not your flesh. You're not your, your mistakes. You are none of that. I have made you new because of my sacrifice forever. And then he goes on. This is some of the other stuff he wrote then as a result. Ephesians 4.24, I've used these verses a billion times. So what? So then put all of that transformation was done on the inside of you. So put on the new man, Ephesians 4.24, and create it according to God. Stop getting up and seeing yourself as the old man. Get up and put the new man on, who's blameless, who's completely acceptable to God, who's completely righteous, who is blessed and favored, who's the head and is not the tail, right? Whose future is blessed, the work of your hands, blessed. The work of your, what you say, creating alternative realities and faith. Do you get that? That's who you are. So put that man on every day. That means there's a choice for you to either live with the old man. And you can do that if you want. But Paul says, why would I do that? I don't judge anyone according to that anymore. So stop putting that on and put on righteousness instead. Let that be your declaration this morning. Let that be your faith. He said, and goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5, again, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In 1 John 4, 17, he didn't write this, but it comes from his word. Love is being perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Folks, that is the gospel. That's your encounter. Your encounter is not anything other than Jesus reminding you every day to put on righteousness because that is who you are. Amen. Some of us have become distracted. Some of us are waiting for the heat and the light and the bluster. And I pray if you need a moment like that, then God is good and he will give you what you need. But so many don't live disappointed. Going, I just need the Lord to break through when he's going, come to me and receive from me. Put on the new man. You're righteous. What does righteous mean? Righteous means that every promise we sang it this morning is yours. Oh, but it did this and it did that and it killed people. It doesn't matter. The moment where I transformed you forever, you are a new man. You are a new woman. I don't judge you according to that. I don't really judge you according to yesterday. I judge you right now by the work of Jesus and his work is eternal. It's never going to change. Hey, man, that's the power of an encounter. When God encounters you in that way, Grace upon grace, boom, your future looks amazing. Amen. Who's feeling encouraged this morning? He's still writing the story. He's still writing your story. If the guy, worship guys could come up, let's have some, some of the filled space, some pads. I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Why don't you stand up for me, actually? You've been sitting for too long. 
close your eyes and uh, I want you to imagine and picture right now with your eyes closed on your back imagine Jesus is standing right in front of you and he says what is it that's bothering you what is it that's weighing you down what is it that has caused your shoulders to drop and your heart to sink and he's looking at you right in the eyes put his hand under your chin to lift you up and he said just give it to me cast your cares to me because I care for you I care for you the Lord says I love you with an unbreakable everlasting love Spirit of God in this place we pray right now Holy Spirit that you would break the chains again that people like in this world would be transformed in a moment of your grace as we cast our cares back to you Father we thank you that this is our this is our our gift for every day the Lord says as you put those things into my hands I'm taking the sickness from you I'm taking the fear from you I'm taking the anxiety from you I'm taking the lack from you I'm taking the disappointment and the regret and the sadness from you I'm saying now get up and go because your best days are starting now your best days are starting now. I have grace upon grace for you, the Lord says. I have favor for you and goodness for you. You are not the same as the people in the world. My children are marked differently from my grace and my glory, that the glory of the Lord would sit on the people of God and the world would take notice of the grace of God and the favor of God working in our lives. And so, Father, I pray right now over every need, every need met, in Jesus' name. He knows what it is. If you have a need this morning, just say, yes, Lord, I receive. Yes, Lord, I say yes. For our, our family in the U.S., for Tom and for Nineveh in the fellowship this morning, for Art, Lord, for the guys in Bowie, for the people in Holland and South Africa, everyone who listens, right now, under the sound of my voice, I just speak right now the provision of God in every way, in your bodies, in your healing, in your mind, in your bank account, in your family, in your, in your mind, anything you need, the Lord says, just cast the weight to me and receive my gift of grace. Father, I thank you for that encounter. Lord, I thank you that, you know, this week, Father, whenever we're tempted to take our eyes off you and what you've done in us and try to have faith for stuff, you just remind us to come back to that place of what you ministered to Paul for years and years and years. Paul, this is who you are. Because you're righteous, this is what you have. And Lord, we would turn our heart and our attention and our faith to righteousness this week. And we would allow that message of what you have done in us to so radically transform our thinking and our believing. Jesus, we love you, don't we? Don't we love the Lord, church? Amen. <laughs> <laughs>